Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying the book of Daniel, chapter 8. That is the book of Daniel, Parakhas. We um, just learned in the last chapter of a dream that Daniel had um, uh, regarding four beasts, which represented four kingdoms. Um, and that in the end, the only kingdom that was going to last forever was the kingdom that was led by the people devoted to the one and only God. Um, again, this week, uh, this uh, today, uh, chapter 8, we have again another vision of Daniel, another strange vision with interesting answers. And again, I will reiterate that um, and as we study these last several chapters of this book of Daniel, remind yourself of what I spoke about in chapter 7a. To the extent that it's obvious and clear which nations and which events Daniel is speaking about in his dreams, of course we will identify them. I will try my best to avoid using what Daniel says to make predictions about the future or or to claim that he is referring to things that are in the future. Not that he's not referring, obviously he's referring to things that are in the future, but the lessons of Daniel are not to tell us that in here such and such, kingdom of so and so is gonna conquer the kingdom of such and such. The lessons of Daniel is to teach us about how the cycle of history works and about how the only way the world will find ultimate peace and cooperation is when the entire world is unified in the singular purpose of, of establishing God's kingdom on this world, a kingdom based on justice and righteousness. And let us now go ahead to Perak Ches, the eighth chapter, verse one. Bishnat Shalosh, in the third year, Lemalchut Belshatzar HaMelech, in the kingdom of Belshatzar the king, Chazon near Eli Ani Daniel. There was a vision that was seen to me, I Daniel. After the vision that I had seen before, so in chapter seven, if we recall, the vision was in the first year of the kingdom of Belshazzar. This occurs a little bit later in the third year of Belshazzar. During this the reign of Belshazzar, this was the time when the Babylonian kingdom was sinking further and further and further into chaos, hedonism, gluttony, and decrepancy. I don't know if there's such a word. But, um, and in the first year, like when we learned chapter 7, that was when the Persian kingdom uh, conquered the Median kingdom and unified the two. So there was a Persia that was now growing in power and influence after it took over media and was starting to expand its influence over the Middle East. And any, anyone with um, any sense was able to see that as Babylon declined and Persia rose, that it was only a matter of time until Persia was to conquer Babylon. So it was in this context that this dream came about. During this time, there, of course, were also other nations in the world, other than Persia and Babylon. 
but now Persia and Babylon were the two contenders for the biggest power in the Middle East. But there were other contenders starting to appear on the world stage at this point. The kingdom and the of the Greeks was already starting to become a force to be reckoned with in Greece. They were in their early days. They weren't yet a strong, mighty empire or anything. Uh, it was before, obviously, the days of Alexander. These were days that are to come several hundred years later. But, but anyone with an eye and uh, anyone with an understanding of world politics knew and understood that there's this potential um, nation from the, from the West uh, taking in Greece and Macedonia and that area that was a rising, a rising star and may one day um, knock out the whole thing. It's also, Egypt still existed as a kingdom, although it had lost a lot of its world power, but it was still an important country on the, on the scene. And of course there were other, other nations, but most of them had by this time been subjugated by Babylon and soon to be subjugated by, by Persia. So, it was in this context, I mention all of this so that we should understand the context within which Daniel sees these dreams. It's also a time, if you remember, it was not long before this. If you go back to the days before the Assyrian Empire, which is only a couple hundred years before this, where the, the concept of, a, of, of one nation being a world power and dominating the, the, pretty much the entire known world of the Middle East was a concept that, that was really coming into play as how the world worked now. It was, it was scary for people to look around and see that you have these large, powerful nations now equipped with, with the metals that are required to create weapons uh, that are powerful enough to, to um, if one acquired them enough and trained the soldiers enough to acquire power over others and to build these kinds of nations. Until a few hundred years prior to this, it wasn't really possible the, to build these giant, giant nations and giant empires. But now that, that it, it became possible, people looking at the world and observing the world would naturally be um, nervous about what stands to come, where this is all going to play out, how this is all going to work on the world stage. So anyway, this is verse 2. And I saw in a vision, and it was when I saw, I was in the city of Shushan, or Susa, I think is what it's called uh, in Persian language, Habira, which is usually translated as the capital. Over here, it probably does not mean the capital. It probably means the fortified city of Susa, of Shushan. The city of Shushan is, of course, famous from the book of Esther. And this city, Asher Be'elam Hamadino, which is in the region of Elam. We've had the region of Elam several times. And Elam generally appears as the easternmost edge of the known world at the time. It's it's a it's the nation. It's it. They're closely related to the Medians, who are in turn closely related to the Persians, and the the and Elam would now be somewhere in modern day Iran, I guess. And Elam is um is pretty much 
from the perspective of someone standing in Babylon, uh, Elam is like the far, far most eastern country that, that was in their um, in their worldview and something that they'd be thinking about. They knew that lands existed even farther than that, but Elam would be the country on the far east edge. So I'm standing there in the capital. Remember, Daniel, by this point, is an, is an older man, and he has had many years of diplomatic experience, and it wouldn't be unusual for him to travel to other capitals on various diplomatic missions on behalf of Belshazzar, the, the, the king of Babylon. But I read Chazon, and when I was there, I saw in a dream, and I was beside the river called Ulai River, which is a river in Elam, it's a place that he had probably seen at some point on his lifetime when he had traveled to Elam on a diplomatic mission. And here he visualizes himself there. And there is, it's significant because in this place is, is a place where um, the Persians and the Medians have already taken and incorporated Elam into their ever-expanding empire. So Elam is representative of another country conquered by Persia, which, as we'll see soon, Daniel knows, will be, conquer, will be turning southward soon and expanding into Babylon and taking over that as well. And I raised my eyes, this is verse 3, oh, and I forgot to note that this chapter 8 switches back to Hebrew. Presumably, the reason for switching back to Hebrew from Aramaic is because he's no longer, he's not in Babylon, at least in the dream he's not in Babylon. Babylon's power is, and Babylon, which was um, allied with the Chaldeans, the, lang the lingua franca was Aramaic. So when things were taking place in the Babylonian court, the language of the book was Aramaic. Now, he's no longer, Babylon is, is on its way out the door, and... Um, Persia is on its way in, so he, Daniel switches back to his own native language, which is Hebrew, um, for the remainder uh, for for the for these chapters here. So I saw Inayvare, and I looked up and I saw Vhine Ayel Echad. There was a ram, Omeid Lifneha Oval that was standing in front of between me and the rivers. So I, it was uh, standing in front of the river Velokronoim, and it had two horns. They were very tall, big horns. One of them was taller than the other. And the higher one was growing second. So it was, I guess, a little bit behind the one that was in front of it. But there was two horns, and one of them was especially large horn. A ram is a symbol of power. The horn is a symbol of the ram's ability to... to um, to uh, to uh, spread his power to destroy others, or Isaiah I saw this is verse four. I saw this ram minageach yama b'tzavona v'negba. He was goring in all directions. Yama meaning westward towards, which would be westward towards the Mediterranean, b'tzavona and northward, v'negba and southward. It was attacking in all different directions. V'chol chayot leyamdu lefanav. And no animals were able to stand in front of this ram. No one could save themselves from him. And he did whatever it wanted. And it kept growing more and more powerful. And, and I was looking and thinking 
about what I was seeing. And then I saw a a a, um, a, a male goat that was coming out of the west. It was passing over the entire earth. It was like a flying goat. It was flying. It wasn't touching the ground. Karen had a a horn between its eyes. So he's describing basically a unicorn, although the unicorn was a goat unicorn and not a horse unicorn like we think of from uh, Disney mythology. But uh, he's definitely describing a, a, a flying goat with um, a single horn between its eyes. And it was flying from the west. And it came to this ram and it reached as it flew, it then landed near this ram that had the two horns that I described before, all the one that was standing in front of the river. And it charged at this big ram with full force. And I saw as it as it reached and 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 crashed into the ram. And it and it um and it gored against it, and it struck down the ram, and it struck, and it broke its horns, and there was no strength in this ram to stand in front of this unicorn, and he threw the ram to the ground, and he trampled on top of him, and no one could help the ram from this unicorn, so the unicorn, this, uh, it was stronger than the ram, conquered the ram, and the ram was done for. You may already be getting some ideas about what the identities of what these things represent, but we're going to discuss that soon because Daniel himself is going to address what they stand for. And then the unicorn grew really, really big and strong. And as it grew really, really strong, its big single horn eventually grew so big that it just fell and cracked. And four, and it broke into four pieces, that went in four directions. Now, if you remember from last chapter, four, and, and, and this number four appears in all of these dreams. Um, and four represents... Four different types of kingdoms, they um, uh, and the cycle of the different kingdoms, one conquering the other, conquering the other, each one with a different, a different way of ruling the world. Uh, the 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 four kings in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, which was the big statue of the gold and the bronze and the copper, represented four different types of kings. The the four different animals that we described before. So now he's saying that. The singular unicorn comes and conquers everything, but then he also breaks into those four kings, where you have this cycle continuing of those four groups. And from one of these pieces of the horn, uh, a little horn grew out from the smallest piece. And this one grew greatly towards the towards the south towards the east and towards 
the Tsevi, which means the beautiful land, which is generally assumed here to mean the land of Israel. And this one horn grew as high as the heights of the heavens. And um, so much so that it, it, it um, threw to the ground from the stars in the heavens. It was this, this horn grew so strong and so powerful that it, it even threw down stars from the heavens and crushed them. But then it got so high, until it finally got to the master of the hosts of the heavens, generally assumed to be God himself, right? He, he, he grew to be, confront God himself. And because of his rebellion against God himself, the sacrifice in the temple, the Tamid, which is the consistent daily sacrifice in the holy temple that was brought every day to God, was ended. In other words, they were able to affect the worship of God in his temple on this earth. And people... Uh, abandoned his holy temple. And then there was an army that was that got together, that gathered together and 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 gathered itself against in order to stop the Tammid, in order to stop the the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice in the temple from being brought um in rebellion against God. And truth was thrown to the ground. Truth is also representative of God. She was successful at throwing the truth of God to the ground. In other words, this so the 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 it broke the horn of the unicorn broke into four pieces, and one of those four pieces rose to power, took over control of the land of Israel to the extent that it actually rebelled directly against God. And then I heard a holy, presumably a holy angel speaking. And then another, and he said to another one of the holy angels, um, to the other one who was speaking, How long can this last for? How long can this rebellion against God last for? How long could this this vision of the worship of God, the daily worship of God, be be held off because of these enemies. Tate Vakodesh Vitsava Mirmas. The the um how long could the um the uh, hosts of the heavens and the holiness and the offerings of the people towards God be crushed and trampled by Omer Eli and he said, Ad Erev Boker until there are mornings and nights, al payim shlosh two thousand and three hundred mornings and nights, v'nitztak kodesh, and then the holy place of God will be purified. These verses, it's it's impossible not to mention that clearly this sounds like the um, the the unicorn being the empire. Uh, of Alexander the Great, who flew and trampled over the entire Middle East. After his death, it split into four kingdoms, one of which, um, under Antiochus and Epiphanes, uh, became the, uh, the leader over the land of Israel. And he did um, 
stop the um, worship in the temple. And, um, and then eventually at some point the temple was restored. So it's, it's, it, I'm saying this because it just seems so obvious, but I want to protect us from the danger of saying this because not that it's not true that Daniel might have been prophesying about those days and the redemption of the temple by the Hasmoneans, by the, uh, um, by the Hasmonaim, which we celebrate on Hanukkah, but uh, and the evil decrees of Antiochus being the one who was decreeing against God. But the point here is being is that is that I want to raise it higher, and remember that the 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 what he means by the two thousand three hundred. There's been as many as there are commentators. There are interpretations and calculations of when this two thousand years, two thousand three hundred days and nights or years or whatever it means end and when the day of the final day of reckoning is going to be when do you start counting when do you end counting is it days is it nights is it years is it this and that point here is that um that i see this big beast which is persia this that's the first uh, isle the first ram who's overpowering everything but then the, the unicorn can come flying from the east and yes in his mind I see Greece, they're going to come and they crash it all. But then they're also going to fall apart into four separate nations and continue that cycle. Some of those nations are going to rebel against God. Some of those nations are going to think that they're greater than God himself. When will it ever end? Yes, it will end at some point in the future when the rebellion against God will be crushed and the people will once again unite and, and once again worship God in his holy temple in Jerusalem. So this is, it's talking about a cycle. Did it partly happen during the Second Temple period? Yes. Is it something that's going to happen someday in the future? Yes. But is he making a specific prediction about exactly when, what, or which, or why, or, wo- or who? No. And that's the point that I've been trying to make during the, this entire reading of Daniel. And, and, and our sages often warn us against trying to make predictions based on these these numbers that Daniel is saying, but rather we should learn the lessons he's trying to teach. This is verse 15. And when I, Daniel, saw this vision, I wanted to understand it. A person who appeared like a human being, presumably an angel, but he had the appearance of a human being in my dream, was standing next to me. And I heard the voice of a of a of a man coming out of the river, Vayikra Vayomar, and he said, Gabriel, Habein Samara. He called the man who was standing, a voice came from the river and spoke to the man next to me and called him by his name, Gabriel or Gabriel. Explain to Daniel what he just saw. So the the man, now I know he's, the angel Gabriel comes next to me, and I was afraid. And I fell on my face. I knew that he was an angel of God. What you just saw was the a vision of the end of times. So was the end of times during the Second Temple? No. Almost every calculation made on the basis of this vision has passed and the end of times hasn't come yet, which just hones in on the lesson that we should not be calculating using this to calculate when the end of times are, but to learn that there will be an 
end of time, so to speak, a time when we all unify under God. And and that is what he's referring to. And it's something that we're working towards. And one day we'll see. But no one can get up and say, oh, it's going to be on Tuesday, you know, November 12th or whatever, based on whatever calculation they decide. And as he spoke with me near Damti Al I was overcome by a by a deep sleep. Vayigabi, and he touched me. Vayamideni Alamdi, and he stood me up. Vayomer, and he said, Nimo I'm going to tell you what's going to be after all of the anger of God is spent, and God decides to no longer punish the world, and the time has come for the world to be one again and for the end to happen. The ram which you saw, which had the two horns, those are the kings of Media and Persia, which we've already assumed on our own, which seems pretty obvious based on the perspective that Daniel was standing to. And that unicorn that you saw, represents the king of Greece. And the big horn is the first big king that's going to stand up and lead Greece to become a big conqueror. With, with our retrospective scope glasses on, clearly that would be Alexander the Great. But the point being that there will arise a great king from Greece and he will come and conquer the rest. But then eventually even that powerful king will be broken and four kings will stand under uh, instead. Each one will arise, but none of them will be as strong as the first king who was the strongest. And at the end of their kingdoms, when their, their sins are going to grow and grow, and when God is, is sick and tired of all of their sins, they've reached a point where of no return, then a smart and intelligent king is going to get up, a king who's going to understand and know, and through his wisdom he's going to be able to lead. He will have great strength, but not from his strength, in other words, not from his physical prowess, but from his abilities, from his understanding, he will be able to rule. And he will be extremely destructive towards God, but he's going to do it out of by using philosophical arguments, cultural arguments. He's going to use it, he's going to, he's not going to argue with God by, by using swords and and um and weapons but he's going to do it by by setting out a culture and 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 a type of wisdom which will challenge god and he will be successful and he will be successful at corrupting and destroying even the holy nation of israel the ones that know to serve god he'll be successful at at infiltrating into them with his ideas not with his might but with his ideas and because of his mind and because of his, his like I keep saying, his, his, his ideas and his philosophies, he will successfully do it with deceit. He'll infiltrate us with lies. He'll infiltrate us with false notions. And in his heart, he's going to think he's great. With peace, he's going to end up destroying many. In other words, not through war, but through his... Through spreading his his ideas and notions, he's going to destroy many nations. And he will rise up against God himself. 
he will deny the, which presumably means he will deny the existence of God himself. And when such a person attacks God through this type of attack, it's not going to be an army that breaks him down, but it's going to be God that breaks him down. It's not going to be a hand that's going to come and punch him and knock him down, but it's going to be belief in God it's going to be worshiping God. It's going to be living the life of justice that God wants us to live. That's going to bring this king down. And that which you saw, that there's going to be many mornings and nights, that is also true. And keep this vision secret, because this pertains to days way off in the future. I was... I was very ill and struck, um, sick and worried for many days after having this vision. I got up, and I continued on my mission, which sounds like he actually might have been in Elam. It might not just have been a vision of being there, but he might actually have been there on some diplomatic mission. I completed my diplomation, and I was in wonder about this vision. Then and I did not understand it, and it was very difficult to explain what this vision was. Now he was told to keep it a secret, but meanwhile it's written here, so it's not exactly clear how, that he kept the secret. But but it is in, on a, a certain level because, like I said, he's not re, didn't reveal to us specifics about when and how and who and what and how and why, but he just revealed to us this general idea and concepts of human history, which we do see every day in front of us. Thank you so much for studying Daniel chapter 8. Looking forward to Mm -hmm. studying chapter 9 and the rest of the book of Daniel together.